Hi, welcome to Of Course China. Today we're here with Simon Derat. Simon is from, uh, uh, from the Netherlands, Holland, from yeah. the Netherlands, and he lives in Shanghai. We are going to be talking about drop shipping. So if you don't know what that is, don't go anywhere. And we are also going to be talking about opportunities, life in China, different cities. So stay tuned and see you in a second. Okay, so uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to Starbucks. We're sitting here at the Dongguan Main CBD, right in front of us, and uh, Starbucks in uh, this DG Mall uh, has been gracious in uh, sponsoring the location for us. Uh, so I want to say thank you for that, and thank you uh, for coming all the way from Shanghai. You are on a business trip right now, right? Yeah, I am. I am actually on a business trip uh, in Shenzhen. Okay. So Dongguan is like an hour drive away. So. What Interconnection between the cities so important, so easy to get to Dongguan exactly. these days. You took a Didi. I took a Didi. Yeah, actually, it's super easy. You just go. You send me the address. Right. And then you look at the address. You go to a map, and basically you can choose how you want to get there. Right. You click the taxi, and then another screen pops up, and you basically can select get any. A Get mm -hmm. a Didi. Or oh, really? You don't need to. I do it. I guess I do it in a stupid way. <laughs> you, you copy paste. That's yeah, what I do. I go to the map and I paste the destination. That's I what I did before. And then I saw someone else doing it. It's like. Oh, wow. It's integrated. China life hack. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Just a quick question. How much does it cost you to go from Shenzhen to Dongguan? If you don't mind us asking. This is about 200 RMB. 200. That's what in dollars? 30 US. 30 US dollars. And that's a journey that takes. It's about an hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Live in China. We were, we were just saying that... And you have uh, your own driver. It's not a taxi. It's actually just a... Oh, did yeah. It's Uber. It's a, yeah, it's like Uber. Yeah, it's like Uber yeah. back in, and, and, in the West. And like I said, in 10 years, you could do this trip in a maglev train in 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, maybe even less. Yeah, probably yeah. come from Shanghai in what? Two hours, three Two hours? hours? Right. Probably. I think now it's the, the train from Shanghai to St. Genesis 6. Six hours. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, it's, uh, and then I think... Uh, yeah. They want to bring it to 800 kilometers an hour, right? And then it will definitely. That's going to be insane. Yeah. All right, Simon. Uh, oh, oh we got some coffee. Yeah, this is a latte. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. caramel okay, macchiato. Here. Oh, mocha. 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 Okay. Right there. Latte. Latte. Both. It's cappuccino one. Uh, this is cappuccino. Cappuccino. Is it mocha? Yeah. Thank you. All right. Mocha great. for the camera operator. All right. So Simon, <laughs> uh, why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself? Why you came here and and so on. Yeah, my, f my first experience with Asia was in 2005. I went to Hong Kong on a trip, it's like a stopover to Australia. And I was fascinated. Fascinated because I was walking on the street at 10 a.m. on a Sunday evening and it was crowded. <laughs> I actually had to shovel my way forward. I was like, how is this possible? There's no city <laughs> in the world that I've been to where it's 10 p.m. in the evening and it's this busy. So it kind of triggered me, and I was like, Shanghai, this, this was Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Kong. So yeah. there was a stopover on the way to Australia. This is 2005. And then I was like, I want to learn more about this culture, about China or India. I want to do international trade. These are the two countries that are going to have an impact in the future. So in 2007, I decided to do my thesis in China to learn about how to reward people from a cultural perspective. Mm. So okay. I've since spent six weeks here. Uh, and then went mostly in Xi'an, Beijing, Shanghai. Did that, completed that, and it's like Shanghai is really an amazing place to live. I compare it a little bit like New York. Okay. A lot of international opportunities, quite an entrepreneurial vibe. I felt, I felt like it was a, uh, yeah, a good place for me to get going. But then the people that I met were all expats. 
they all had they were sent here. Mm -hmm. So I was like, right. okay, I need to get a skill first because I'm just a student, just graduating. Mm -hmm. Right. So then I graduated, worked for an international company. Hopefully, they will send me to China so that I can get it going. And that didn't happen after three years. So then I went to look for a job in 2010. Basically, went on a holiday, one week Beijing, one week Shanghai, and then landed a job, and that made me so come. Really, within really ten well. days. <laughs> ten days, you found a job. Two weeks, yeah. But I mean, I've I've told everyone that I know that I'm going to do this. Do you know anyone who knows anyone okay, who knows of course. anyone? So you, you usually <laughs> uh, hear these kind of stories with people that study, uh, uh, what do you call it, East Asian studies in university, mm -hmm. or some Chinese even before that. They already uh, have an inclination for, right. for Asia. Mm -hmm. Right. So this, this, this sparked from the, the one trip you did, 2005. That's, that was yeah. the first part. Before well, that? Before that, I, I, I'm really interested about different cultures, looking at the same thing differently. That's okay. something that I find very fascinating. Mm -hmm. And from I travel to a lot of English-speaking countries, but these countries, in the end, there's a lot of, of similarities, right. more than well, because I'm from the Netherlands. All right, I'm really, really interested in this uh, uh, dropshipping uh, stuff. Yes, now. what yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, I get ads every single time on YouTube about, oh, I got the secret to drop shipping. Oh, let me tell oh, you yeah, how yeah, to make yeah, tons yeah, yeah. of money without moving a finger and living the lifestyle. Um, Just waiting for the skip. <laughs> yeah, look at five, three, two. Come on, yeah. I'm one of those advertisements. I'm not seeing you though. All right, if I see you, I'll stay. Okay. All right, so tell us a little bit about uh, dropshipping. What is it? How did you get started in it? Um, why is it such a big boom? Let's 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 dive into it. Yeah, dropshipping. It doesn't have to be from China, but basically it means you can get the order before you purchase the product. Mm -hmm. So there's already someone else has the stock for you. Yeah. And you actually push the product, you find a consumer, you get the order, they pay you, and then you purchase it to your supplier. Mm -hmm. So actually it's quite a, from financial point of view, not too much risk, not much investment. So that's a very interesting model, particularly for young entrepreneurs right. who want to create their own opportunities. It, it, to me, it's the definition of the intermediary, the middleman. You are a middleman. Yeah, you are a middleman. You're like you're a, a new version of a middleman. Yeah. The digital middleman. Basically, yeah. yes, you can sit at home <laughs> you're, you're, in your basement you're, you're, in underwear, and you can be 12 years old, a computer genius. You just build a website, yeah. mm -hmm. and you're selling slime from China or whatever it is, you know. And yeah, and you said before, it's not you don't even you don't need to invest anything except uh, except creating some time some place or to sell. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of them are using Shopify or Amazon or eBay. Uh, eBay. eBay and Amazon don't really support drop shipping, at least not from China, because mm -hmm. they want next day delivery. Okay. They want to use their own warehouses overseas to be able to put, let people put stock there. So if they find out you're doing drop shipping from China, they normally will cancel, cancel your you. account. Okay. Can you even, can you even uh, like, you, uh, I imagine you can even, s let's say you're a school kid, 16 years old. You yeah. can even sell it in school. You don't even need to sell it online, right? I mean, if you fill in the, the information, yeah, you take exactly. the order. Yeah. If you want to do a manual and submit the orders I mean, manually, yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. But then you'll be working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. So, the, so the, actually the real dream is that you, you basically start right. to drop shipping, you start to identify a product that's selling well, mm. then it's going to be scaling, then you're going to build right. a team around you, so you have a virtual assistant for customer service, right. for your right. branding, for all that kind of stuff. So everything becomes outsourced, you start to build your own brand, put a brand name on the product, so that you can also go for the next product and create a business that can also sustain offline. Okay. So you say Amazon, Amazon, you say, uh, uh, do, not, do not support this? That's what you say. Not dropshipping from China. Dropshipping no. okay. can still because be of done the delivery. from locals. They want to push their own warehousing and all of that. The, the one-day delivery. delivery time. 
Right, customers from China. China. Because right. from shipping from China now this month is difficult, but it, it can be done for in our cases from seven days. But the most popular platform people buy from is AliExpress. Mm-hmm. Right. So AliExpress has this AliExpress standard shipping that is basically from 30 days, mm, okay. <laughs> and now even more. So that's something that a lot of consumers don't really accept. Let's say okay. I'm uh, let's say I'm a customer of this one of those 17-year-old kids, and. Uh, for example, and uh, I bought something on their website right now, yeah. and it's coming from China, yeah. and I'm sitting in Oregon. Yeah. How long do I need to wait to get it? Usually, yeah. average. For in our case, about ten days. So about ten days from, from within two weeks, order. order delivered. You, your company get the order from the website directly. So their their store is integrated to our platform. Right. So we collect all the orders, and then based on the orders, we will source the supplier. We purchase the product locally in China, bring it to our China warehouse and then ship with a sort of like express shipping methods. Mm-hmm. So what, what, it's kind of like, what does the person need to do, your client? Basically almost nothing. They need to identify which product they want to sell. They need to build the store and run the advertising. Okay, so you are like the, 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 back, end. the back end of uh, drop shipping. People sell, the, right. uh, they set up the stores online and whatnot, and then they go through you to get the different so products. Obviously, Correct. there is yeah. value there in just those few things they need to do. Otherwise, you would just do that too, and have tons of brands. You could, you could. Right? How many, how many customers do you have at the moment? How many people do you have going through you to get these things? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. All yeah. right. How do they find you? We, ad- we advertise. There is a very huge uh, dropshipping community and a lot of influencers and competitors that have been around as well, mainly Chinese or Western, that are servicing dropshippers. Mm-hmm. So normally it's either like an agent that you can find or it's a dropshipping app like we have. Is there is there like a name for what you do? Because those guys are doing dropshipping and they're like the, the, the storefront, so to speak. They are facing the customer. You are the, the behind the... Uh, that storefront. Yeah. What's the name for what you do? Most call it a dropshipping agents. Okay. So right. they're sourcing the product for you and also so help you ship. For us, it's more technology driven. So we can see more like a dropshipping app, like a plugin. Uh, right. app. Ah, so it's like very streamlined, very easy, exactly. friendly. Yeah. So if someone want to find you or f- find this service and find you specifically, you just could need to go on the app store and search for dropshipping and they'll find tons of apps. So within, within, for example, Shopify, you have different apps where, ah, where you can use. There, right. so, so then they, they can find HyperSKU, the company that I'm with, ah. and then this, they can connect. There has them. been a, an explosion of people doing dropshipping. Yeah. Um, what do you see as the future? What do you see are the pitfalls down the lane? I mean, is it going to be just everybody has a shop? Uh, In 2010, AliExpress started. Yeah. So AliExpress has been basically the driver behind B2C, because dropshipping is very much B2C driven. Mm-hmm. So AliExpress is ma- mainly the driver behind uh, dropshipping itself. And all the consumers, they can buy at AliExpress, basically, but they're mm-hmm. not. They're, they're buying at these middleman sites that are purchasing on AliExpress how and do maybe you, adjust a little bit. How do you explain that? Because, I mean, if I am a consumer, i rather buy, I mean, went to buy my Apple Pen yesterday because I lost it. Yeah. I go to a shop. A thousand RMB. I go on to on to uh-huh. uh, uh, Taobao is a hundred, and then I go to even further down, like a hundred and something. The original one. Yeah. Up, just. Ah, you mean in in yeah so yeah within, in Taobao. Okay. exactly. So why people? That's the end of real stores out there. Number one. Right, yeah. But why do people choose the middleman? It's about localization because quite often the store is in their own language. 
Okay, ah, okay. The look and feel is also is more normally the the dropshipper will get the product first. They will do a photo shoot, get the pictures ready, or they look use companies like yours right. to be able to prepare the right. material to make it more Western friendly. So it's trust mm -hmm. building, the trust, Most, also connecting. Trust. It's yeah. psychology of marketing. Anyway, it in is. the end of the day, right? Because yeah. the the competition is, is so big out there. How would you know where to go and who to buy from? Even when you go on on Taobao and you see this pen for a thousand eight hundred one hundred. You're thinking, right? Like Which one is, is fake? It, is it real? <laughs> yeah. Is it real? It's you know, um, even though Taobao, you can just return. But a lot of people also are not savvy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They need exactly. something easy. And it's more impulse-driven uh, yes, dropshipping because yes. all the advertising was also on Instagram, on TikTok, on Facebook. It's driven by advertising for people to get the right. impulse purchase. Is it by definition cheap stuff or no? Not, not per se. I mean, you know, you both know China well enough as well that there's always a big range between quality and low quality and high quality all is available it's just yeah what, what how much what, you want to spend <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's the main the main trigger is like well, what do you want and, and most using aliexpress as a reference can you do can you do everything anything any product for drop shipping can you can someone buy a refrigerator drop shipping it, technically you can from china it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense from china It'll be too expensive so we to see ship normally it. products less than two kilogram makes okay. sense to ship from china if it's over two kilogram it will become very expensive but i would say i would ah so it's a shipping cost it's mostly shipping costs yeah like i would say like uh, outdoors furniture something light but then drop shipping from china it's not possible but you can do drop shipping from anywhere even I mean, if you're a seller in the U.S., you can find U.S. suppliers, but you don't purchase the stock until you actually get the order. Right. It's mm. still dropshipping. And, and global brands are doing this strategy as well by eliminating middleman and, and optimizing the supply chain by getting data integration with their supply suppliers itself. So, what's so it's a whole ecosystem dropshipping. So what's, yeah, so what's in your kind of company, what's the... the, the, the personnel looks like 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 what do you have a lot of salespeople or you just get it online i mean how does it how does it work how do you get these clients you say through people finding you through shopify and stuff like that yeah so so, so the management of the process that's the most important thing yeah managing the supply chain that's the, the most important chain. thing and so what kind of skills do operators need the, the people who work for you what do you look for in employees so now is we want to be the bridge between a western seller and the china supply chain the china suppliers so our IT team, China is super skilled in IT. So we have a very strong IT team. Mm -hmm. So that's probably half. And then the other half is more account managers and sales and supportive like HR, finance, those kind of things. And our sales and account managers, they need to speak multiple languages. Normally they're trilingual. Okay. At least Chinese, wow. English, and something else. Are they Chinese or foreigners? A mix. mix. A lot of Chinese have studied abroad, have learned another language. So they are very valuable for us because they're why people don't like AliExpress or any ch working with a Chinese agent is communication as well. There is, it's not clear enough. You need translation apps sometimes to be able to get the message across. And you want to build your own brand. Yeah. You want to build your brand, you want, need to tell the story. And you're not touching the product. As a dropshipper, you're not physically receiving any product yourself. So you, you need someone who can actually translate the message you want to bring across towards the supplier mm -hmm. and make that a reality. So the trust issue definitely is a big yeah, thing. The, your clients need to trust you, right? Yeah, they need to trust because, us. Because like we said, it's crazy. You could sell something, make millions of dollars, and never you've never touched this product. But this brings me to, an, to a question that I wanted to ask. Like, we were talking about this, this Apple Pencil, right? Um, I see all these different prices, and my question is like, which one is fake, which one is not fake? Which leads me to question number two. How do you deal with complaints? How do you deal yeah. with somebody who's not satisfied with a product? Um, 
uh, I mean, how does how the seventeen-year-old kid who's not yeah. who's who's has a store? Um, but how does that affect you His also in the back end? to him and then they should yeah. complain to you, Correct. right? That's how. Correct. But it, I mean, what is the guarantee? What is What are the assurances that... From his side, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. The quality is, is tough. That That's it's just by default because we're selling millions of products. It's not like one product. So tell uh, quality control what they check and they can check it. But these are individual parcels. You don't get a batch, a container load or a pallet. It's one, sometimes one item or 10 items that arrive in the warehouse that you need to identify whether the supplier is good or the quality of the product mm-hmm. works. In a way, it's good, right? Because you check it. Yeah. We're checking so it. So it's yeah. like 100%. You don't need to check a thousand. One it's product, just I checked it. It's not even a sample. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. But, it's it's very, but to, uh, to educate a warehouse on what quality is good and what is bad. Right. For thousands right. of products and yeah, different, that's different that's kinds. Very challenging. But I saw in the video you have on YouTube yeah. that uh, you have different stations. Exactly. And uh, you have, uh, I guess, you try to make it more specific. Like you have some people that just do electronics yeah. and some other people do other stuff, yeah. right? But still, you don't have someone that is someone checking the shoes, someone that was in the shoe industry for 20 years. It's not exactly. like that. No, right. no, no. There's a lot of common sense to it. And it's also, if you service a lot of the dropshippers, then you also know which products sell well. And with that, you will find a supplier that is... Right. You can, you can vet them easily because question. once you get complaints, it's not a good supplier. <laughs> right. So then you know that that one is blacklisted, and you. So you what do want you to do? Supplier. What Fernando asked, what do you do when you have a complaint from the? Uh, what is the process? The yeah. So normally it's either we either we refund or we reship. Mm-hmm. So these are the most common two solutions when somebody complains. Either we refund the money that they paid us, right. or we, or we reship one. again on our okay. cost. So that's that's facing the, the shop, the front. But what about with the supplier? How do you handle the supplier? Do they have policies related to this? They have policies, but the thing is, before you get a complaint, it's already two weeks later. Mm-hmm. And quite often the supplier, they only accept it that you can complain after it's received in your warehouse. Mm. So we're kind of bearing the cost for that. Oh, okay, okay, so, okay. Okay, so let's say, again, let's say uh, someone is sitting out there now and saying, oh, this Simon guy, I can start a business, just need someone like him, right? It's a <laughs> company. Yeah. So they have an idea of a product, right? They can do some marketing, they can do the Shopify, it's okay. So they found you, mm. okay? Then what happens? How is the process of starting to work with you works and what's the cost? Like, Do they pay you? Yeah. Is just an email? How does it work? How do they engage your services? Yeah, so normally it starts, either they have already a, a product, a picture or a link of what they want. Mm-hmm. We start to source it and give them a quote. So we give them a quote on a product and a quote on the shipping cost. Okay. And the shipping cost, you have faster shipping, slower shipping. So they can also make a cho- choice on what, right. which one they want. And then it's up to the consumer of the, our customer, the dropshipper, to decide whether we, our price is right. And then there's normally some negotiation. Uh-huh. Like, I've signed it for this price. Can you maybe do that? It's okay, what's your <laughs> volume? And then basically... How do they know the volume? Like, do they yeah, if it's dropshipping. How does it... So, no, it's an, in the beginning, most people don't. Uh, some dropshippers, they are, have a range of different products and they're using... They have an existing business. They already worked with AliExpress or a dropshipping agent, but they're not happy with the service. Okay. So they have an existing, or they know already what quantities they want. The new ones always take a few, take some time. We don't, we don't expect them to go to hundreds mm-hmm. of orders a day, but some get lucky. Right, um, right. But the majority um, have a... So they can be, a customer can be someone that made a deal with you, I guess you have an agreement or whatever, and um, 
and then it could pass a year and he sold one product. Could be, could be. Could yeah, they, they only pay us. There's no fixed fee on the, on our platform ourselves. So we only earn money uh, when they start shipping because our, our margin is in the product price mm -hmm. and in the shipping. Okay. And, and that's also why this, the industry, Chinese e-commerce industry is not so much about profitability, honestly. <laughs> it's much more about scale. Mm -hmm. and going for IPO and getting, getting investment ah. in the company. And that's more like how many orders do you have and how many customers do you serve? That's the value of your company. That becomes the valuation. Okay. Um, I have another question related to, well, what you see on these advertisements about drop shipping. Um, everybody's trying to tell you, okay, I know how to pick the right products. Um, what are the variables to choose a good product? Because um, you talk about people selling nails people selling screws, yeah. people selling just things that you would never consider as, as I want to sell this as my profession, but they find a product that has a good margin or that has good, what do you call that? Volatility, You're just selling like crazy. Yeah. And then that's what they choose. Yeah. Do you train people in this uh, sense or you have nothing to do with helping them choose the products that will make them money? We don't, we don't push any products because it's, uh, we think that's also a bad uh, conflict of interest because then we know which products sell well, but that means that we're taking away maybe market share of our customers. Mm, okay. So that's something, uh, but in general there, yeah, there are a lot of seven figure, eight figure. Once a, a seller becomes successful, they also want to become known and visible, a lot of them, because they want to sell their courses. Mm -hmm. Dropshipping itself, I think most dropshippers do it for one or two years, and then you go into either building your own brand or you go into coaching. Mm -hmm. These are kind of the, the, the life the cycle. Coaching. Coaching. Teaching people how to do it. <laughs> that's what it is now. Huh? Yeah. Because that's so then it's the advertisements that we see. Yeah, yeah. The, and that's all the advertising that, wow. that you see. is that Because that's when you can actually earn more money than with the, uh, and less effort than mm -hmm. dropshipping. So, how, how, so how, do you know, how do you know who's uh, a good coach and who's not? How do you, how do you know? Yeah, but it's just it's just about their brand and whatever they can show on screen, and then you get the flashy Lambos and whatnot. And uh. if they're making money and they're not a good coach, at least they're smart in marketing, right? <laughs> Maybe they know something it is. Right. It is no, it is it, it, that that part of the coaching is purely marketing, right? I see purely people marketing. saying like, You're "Oh, a dream. we we dream. we get this product for uh, fifty cents, and I sell it for twenty dollars." Yeah. Is there markups of that size, really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen those, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so no, no, normally the markup is five times five. Jesus, five hundred percent. But yeah. but, but there of is the a lot to pay in the, yeah. in the middle. But I think most yeah. of the the big margins that you actually keep a lot of it is mostly like uh, it was done through Amazon and stuff like that, maybe. Or am, yeah, I, am have, I wrong? You have, all, you have a lot of fees to consider. I mean, you're talking about international payments, right. which normally charge for PayPal. They charge. Mm -hmm. So Facebook advertising. They right, also, there's right. also a lot of cost uh, involved. Yes, it's a lot of money. And yeah. it can also, the more people view, the higher your cost as right. well. Mm -hmm. So the click ratio is also very... But I think the thing is to get something, and for that, I think you need to buy yourself from, from abroad to look at, uh, at Taobao or Ali, AliExpress or whatever, because the trick is to get something that you saw first, and it's not there yet at all, right? I saw this uh, story of these guys that did this map that you can scratch, mm. and they made millions of dollars. And it was there, the first ones that brought it there. And then the margins are 20 times, yes. Yeah. And, uh, but they, I think they went straight to the factory or whatever. How often do you get people that tell you, you source for them, and then they say, hey, but I saw it for this price in Alibaba. All the time. All the time, right? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> what do you say to them? As your nightmare. 
And because we know what, uh, what Alibaba is much more B2B and right. AliExpress is more uh, B2C and mm-hmm. the shipping methods available are less competitive for what we offer. Right, and you say, hey, Alibaba, you can buy one, right? Yeah, so that's, that's if, you want, if you want just one, just go there and buy it and, uh, and, you, and you wait four, four weeks before it arrives and then you right. can start to start it. And you don't if know you what you're If you want to getting. have people to buy again, you also and refer to you and also get uh, in the end Facebook rating and PayPal rating is very important mm-hmm. because your PayPal get blocked or your Facebook account gets blocked and your business stops yeah so when consumers start to complain then you get a problem right and quite often these complaints come by low, slow, slow delivery bad quality products these are reasonings are very important. You were talking about um, uh, Amazon uh, not accepting uh, drop shipping from China. Yeah. Um, is there any kind of blocking or any kind of ban or any kind of limitation for shippers? I mean, will DHL say like, oh, we don't do this or UPS says we don't do that. Um, are there any kind of limitations from shippers as well? Because you mentioned two kilos yeah. and I think that that's, there's something there. <laughs> yeah, so most dropshippers from China are using less than two kilogram, which is also more, quite often you have low ticket dropshippers, which is low value where the sales price is maybe under 40 US dollar, and you have high ticket, which is normally also bulkier and heavier. Mm-hmm. From a restriction for shipping, it's mostly size of the parcel. Mm-hmm. That's very important. So normally longer side, 60 centimeter. That's what DHL or those companies accept. If it's over, then you charge more than it's an oversized parcel. So weight is important, but the content is also important. So especially batteries, liquids, mm-hmm. powder, those kind of also have restrictions on whether it can be shipped by air mm-hmm. and need to be kind of put into a different shipping lane, a shipping method for only battery-related products. Or but it is possible for, to ship because, for example, I've been meaning to get a one-wheel, All right. mm. but it's a huge battery and I yeah. have no idea how to get what do you it mean? to. It's not from China? Uh, one wheel is made in the US. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I bought a Chinese one and I'm looking for the one wheel. <laughs> ah, okay. I understand. You want to import it? Uh, yeah. yeah, but I have no That's idea. It's interesting because, like, is there drop shipping the other way around? Is there drop shipping coming to China? Yeah, of, yeah, of course. I mean, Taobao is the platform. I get for my that. thumbs. I mean, ah, Taobao does getting, that, right? getting milk powder from Daigo is from the Chi- yeah, Chinese yeah, living abroad. Right? I, get, I get my medicine from my stomach uh, from abroad. Yeah, a couple of times I've got to wait like for 30 minutes, Cheerios, 30 days. And it took yeah. like a month. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And but I, I suppose it's the same as, as drop shipping. When something comes out really hot, like for example a new camera like the C seventy, they say, Okay, but you gotta wait for it. You get so there is yeah. there are companies like yours in other places too in the world, I guess. Yeah. So, right? so I've I've been doing it both ways. So I've been helping uh, What do you bring? Sorry? What do you bring to China? So China is mostly what you put in your mouth or put on your skin. These are the most best uh-huh. so because that's where the lack of trust Food. comes in from local production <laughs> products. So it's uh, vitamins, it's milk powder, it's uh, more nutrition. Medicine. Nutrition, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, medicine is more difficult to import mm. for cross-border e-commerce. And then it's uh, skincare, cosmetics, personal care. These mm. are the best-selling products when it comes from inbound to China. What's, what's uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> just before we take a break, sure. uh, in another minute, uh, I want to ask, what is the like the most expensive product you ever drop ship? Oh, we've ever drop ship. Uh, or is it really nothing gets really expensive? It depends on what is the sales value or the purchase value. Right. Purchase value then. <laughs> like purchase value, you know? Purchase value for us, most of the time, uh, it's, it's not expensive. It's not it's expensive. Less than okay, 50. so what is the strangest product you've ever done? Oh, <laughs> strangest product, that's a good question. 
Can yeah. we say that on camera though? <laughs> <laughs> well, ob obviously, the uh, sex industry is big. Right, I was uh, thinking. Yeah. <laughs> really? yeah. So a lot of sex toys are sex being toys. shipped from, from China. Yeah. Uh, that's a big, a big selling uh, product. All right, guys, right. we're going to take a very short break okay. and we're going to come back to continue talking about dropshipping and well doing business in China. Don't go anywhere. All right, and we are back with Simon, and we were just talking about sex toys. Okay, <laughs> marking, marking this video not for kids on YouTube, for sure. We always do, we always do. Oh, the first question that I was going to ask you in the second bit of the video was about taxation. Yeah. Um, so how do you handle taxation? Because you're sending things from one country to another. Um, what are the, the guidelines for, for that? Yeah, so each, each country has their own restrictions on the taxes are like a threshold mm -hmm. on how, how much the value can be. We're shipping individual parcels, so this is B2C. So some countries, I think it's uh, Australia is like 1,000 Australian dollar, US is something like 800 US dollar, and Europe is 22 euro. So there's a big difference <laughs> wow. per country on and they where say you US have any. Is big on tax. Huh? Yeah. Interesting. And in Europe, it's going to change. Next year, 2021, EU? July, it's going to go from 22 to zero. So wow. everything has to be taxed. Wow. Oh my God. So that's going to have a big impact for sure. What about, what about England and Brexit? How is that being affected uh, in terms of taxation? Yeah, so UK have to, no, has, they're still committed to their 22 uh, okay. euro or pounds, so the equivalent of that. Then, but they, will, they can set their own rules so and regulations. But the UK has been a major hub for custom clearance into Europe, into mm, the whole okay. Europe. And so that, that, that system is going to change because people need to move away the custom clearance because no longer the clearance is valuable in UK Indeed. for the rest of Europe. So, so that has a big impact. So if you're in the US and you, you're doing that, you work, uh, you do drop shipping and you have a brand uh, and uh, every package under $100, you don't need to pay tax on. But you still need to pay tax on your profits and stuff like that. That's... Yeah, you're Sorry. still running a company, right? So yeah. you can still so. you have still a profit tax, and right. when the normally if you sell locally, the consumer there's also a consumer tax VAT. Ah, okay, okay. Right? and that's that's done separately because you always have this this way. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So how about um, how about your? You say you do millions of products, basically. Uh, yeah. Um, SKUs, right? Yeah. You know, yeah SKUs, that's the name yeah. of the company. Exactly. Um, hyper SKU. Yeah, and it's very hyper. Yes, it's millions. <laughs> So how do, you, how do you see differences in what people order from different countries or different regions of the world? Yeah, we see uh, definitely climate is a, and, and uh, time zone is important. I mean, there are people, products that are top hot in the summer, obviously are now in Australia popular. <laughs> right. While we're different in the winter. Times, right. <laughs> so that's also important uh, to, right. when it comes to country level. We see that, uh, so their climate is important, culture is important. US, in, this, in a way, is still leading. So a lot of people are still lo looking for trendy products. But what we've seen is that a lot of people are looking for the product to sell, but the most successful products that are being sold are not the trending products. Right. They're just products that you do, that everyone can use in their daily life. So this year, particularly, I mean, Corona year has been a big range of new products that were not sold well mm. before that are doing well when you think like about this. office wear, um, we see decoration in the house because we spend more time in the house, right. pillows and sleeping related products. Anything but also for the house. Yeah. Anything for the house, for the garden, right. studying, office, working from home, but also baby Web, products. Webcams, uh, webcams, all kinds of things for right, Zoom. Right. Yeah. Is so, that, so also because the, maybe the trendy stuff is like 
to competitive like to, there is so much competition, too niche, right? Too niche as well. It's too niche as well. Okay. <coughs> because and you need to deliver the message and and explain why people should buy it. That's much more difficult than say explaining why you should buy a pillow or why you should use some decoration in your house to make you feel like uh, yeah. more homey or more housey. And in this in this industry, so you say US is leading the way, right? A lot, and, yeah. And uh, any any country in the world on the rise that you see or coming, like countries maybe before it wasn't so possible. I don't know, Africa, places in Africa or whatever that you see coming with more of this, uh, you know, bigger on this industry. Yeah. So the the main the main dropshipping countries in general is U US, Australia, the Europe, and New Zealand. Southeast Asia is doing dropshipping quite well, but then more from on the platforms like Shopee and Lazada, which are very much AliExpress driven already. So that means they have their within the platform they have their own shipping solution. So Shopee has their own shipping solution, Lazada. But Australia, most of the goods are oh, sorry in Southeast Asia, most of the products are not produced in Southeast Asia. Mm, A lot okay. of them are still coming from China. So the dropshipping still is very popular. Africa is building up a lot of trade lanes, but the delivery time is way too slow. But there are a lot of de developments in that space between Africa and China, for outbound China. And for Southeast, uh, South America, it's tough. It, the custom clearance is very difficult to do. And uh, the transit <laughs> time is very slow. So to scale it, you probably still have to either buy from US, do drop shipping from right. a US supplier right. or locally. I understand. Yeah. Um, okay. Do All we right. want to move on to another yeah, topic? So okay, I, I wanted to um, I wanted to talk about entrepreneurship in China. And uh, first, I would like to say, I mean, you actually also run a podcast. Yeah, I do. Right? Yeah, uh, it's the China Business Cast. China right? Business Cast. And you're hosting it currently. Um, and uh, yeah, we will put the link. Yeah, right? sure. So people can, uh, can uh, listen to it. How are we doing? We're very new in the space. <laughs> How long have you been doing this podcast, by the way? So the podcast is, is uh, been running for eight years. Mm -hmm. I joined it for like a year and a half ago. Okay. Uh, it's been moving, moving around. It's been rotating. So passed on from one to another to another. Okay. So it was passed on early 2019 to a Dutch guy in Chengdu. Hey, I was introduced to him. He had a shout out during the podcast, looking for other hosts. So John is also Jans, Dutch. Jans is also Dutch. Jans. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's also Dutch. So I said, "What does it take to become a host?" And uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I love. I've been listening to podcasts myself a, lo a long time. I was like, "This, uh, I can either set it up myself or join something existing." Uh -huh. And this one has a good reputation. I like, uh, and I, it's opened so many doors. So, so first, a shout out to anyone doing podcasts from China. Yeah. Yes, right? yes, mean, we're not that many. Cheers. Yeah. Yes. Please do reach out to <laughs> I, us. Yes. We'll be happy to promote all of you. And I think there is more and more, which is a great thing, right? Yeah. And um, so, what is this podcast about? Obviously, it's China Business Cast. So, yeah. is it's about uh, business? I guess. It is. Yeah. It's what about kind of topics. So most of the time, we ask either entrepreneurs or senior leaders to join that have at least five years of experience doing business in China or with China. Okay. So from origin it started more on a international trade, so mm -hmm. more from a sourcing perspective. Then it moved more into e-commerce. Yes. And now we see that everyone is linked to everything in China is linked to everything. Yeah. I mean look at Alibaba, which is a huge leading e-commerce company. They are active in 51 industries. Right. <laughs> so that means that you can that everything is so interconnected yes. that every industry has useful developments that are worth sharing. 
Yeah. Right. So we're trying to bring these stories from other entrepreneurs, from other leaders to be able to share that with other people are, that are interested in doing business or are doing business already in China. So yeah, it's kind of like war stories on, on right. how to do it. And it's all in English, so it's not in Chinese. But so you only do audio and how often do you guys do it? The idea is to, uh, once every two weeks, but we've been slacking this year. We've been slacking. <laughs> I, I, see, I wanted I to see. ask you a question. What do you think, Rami, from all these talks and all the, the things that you learn from all these leaders and, and entrepreneurs, which industries do you see as the future for China? What is developing? What's cooking that is going to be the next new thing? Yeah. Is it AI? Is it... Uh, so so I, I'm based in Shanghai, and we, we try to diversify our also the people that we interview more from outside of the big cities that's why okay. I also wanted to come to Dongguan and meet you guys because there are a lot of developments are also regional based mm -hmm. so I'm also in the Shanghai bubble and the Shanghai bubble it's much more on technology and e-commerce and and health but the main themes that we see overall is definitely uh, elderly is a huge one that is growing elderly uh, elderly like, uh, care. Makes total sense. elderly care is, is being huge so then you also have to think of a lot of people cannot be with their parents for a month if they are in hospitalized. Yeah. So getting someone to sit next to them or getting Care them to care, a care home to, to stay. So that was a big one. Technology. It's, you can actually read the five-year plan of China, which is also exactly where subsidies are being given, where people... Where the government into. is pushing. So yeah, right. technology, e-commerce, healthcare, uh, transportation, these kind of things are... Infrastructure are very hot topics. That you you mostly talk to entrepreneurs, right? Mostly, mostly. mostly. Not yeah, only, mostly, but mostly, mostly, I would yeah. say, right? Yeah. So I think uh, we are all entrepreneurs here. And uh, I wanted to talk about the China opportunities, yeah. right? Like opportunities in China. People always ask me, and even with the donors, me, I volunteer the information. I always say, there's so much opportunity. I've been here 17 years. I still feel it, probably even more and more. Yeah. Now, perhaps our position in what we do allows us to, to, to see the opportunities and, and to have the opportunities, right? But let's talk about that. What do we mean when we say China is full of opportunities? In your, you in your sense, from your perspective. In, 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 my, in my sense, there's always, there's so many uh, niches in China and each niche can be so big just due to the size of China that everything sounds already like an opportunity because <laughs> it's scalable. Yeah. When, it's, when, when do you define it's an opportunity is when it's scalable. And the scalability in China, it's possible. Mm -hmm. But then you have to find the right angle. And that part is, I think, the most tricky part. Right. Uh, and, uh, so you, get, you meet people about the, continuously that are doing things like, really, this exists? Right. There's a market for this? Right. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, there is. Okay. Wow, there's so many opportunities. So that's basically right. the vibe and the people you surround yourself. They're all doing so many different things that you just are blown away. And, and, and you get out of this uh, bubble and the comfort zone and the people you're exposed to right. that, that you feel that there's opportunity. Everyone is excited and hopeful. And, uh, I, would, I would add to that. I think that uh, culturally, I think China more than any other place in the world, uh, uh, business and life and your personal life is totally mixed right so every Ch chinese people right every 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 person, social interaction is an opportunity right exactly <laughs> so that's the thing in china and you know the more connections you make i mean even like okay our kids go to school in chinese school the other parents they brought their kids to my kids birthday and suddenly after three days they ask me it's all opportunities right there maybe they are business people and stuff like that it's all mixed and i think that uh 
And that just shows that to get those opportunities, you really need to be out there. Mm-hmm. right you need to talk to people and What particularly think? I think that you need to be open-minded uh, we've talked about this before you can come to China as one thing but if you're open-minded and you're out there socializing and networking opportunities right. are everywhere you always talk about the the scenario of the English teacher coming to China which is a gateway to China yeah. for a lot of foreigners right. but if you get yourself here and you're able to 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 socialize and network there's there's a path for you even after teaching. Uh, right. Get your bearings after a year, two years, and you could be on your own doing your own thing um, soon after that, if you're smart enough and open enough and flexible and, right. and so, entrepreneurial. Yeah, so if you yeah. if you come to China uh, as a teacher or whatever, right, and you want those opportunities we're talking about, yeah, you really need to go out, right? You really need to meet people. It doesn't mean you have to go out to the bars. Maybe 10, 15 years ago it was that, yeah. right? But I mean, just activities, whatever, charity. I mean, anywhere you meet, we, we meet people, yeah. there are yeah. opportunities. There, like there's it. people that I've met hiking. There's people that I've met riding bicycles. There's business opportunities that I've met because of YouTube. Uh, it, it's, it's everywhere. And one thing I think to remember, which is, a, I guess, a pro tip, I would say, don't go and meet people to look for the opportunities. You have oh, yeah. to understand. It doesn't, you ha- it doesn't happen this way. Yeah, you people see the agenda right, behind your don't interaction. Have an agenda. I mean, you can have it deep inside, but don't really have it, you know, when you talk to people, just make friendships, make connections, mm-hmm. right? And those opportunities just, just come, you know? I mean, it happens all the time. Really. Uh, for me, this, this year was particular that I, I, I can see the value of the relationship that I built over the years, last years in China. Is, um, I made a post on WeChat. Obviously, everyone was in need of these masks, right? Right. And it was always the weak links that reached out to me. It was people that I, I maybe didn't even met, just socially connected, or as a friend of a friend that says, "Hey, I saw your post. I know someone who's looking." And these were the connections. So the social media part, that that network of getting referred by someone else because they trust you, that's even that 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 made it grow as well, and to get connected and introduced to people. So if I would post, I'm looking for this on right. social media and WeChat, right. I would have uh, my friend, my network will help me find what I'm looking for. It potentializes the opportunities. So it potentializes yeah. so your so message. So you never ask the question directly to right. like I'm going to meet you because I I want to have a business opportunity. Right. No, I want to meet you because I want to get to know you and see if there's a trust right. level, see if we can build a connection, right. and then I can uh, you're not asking for a favor. You ask like. Like an advice. The no agenda. The no, no agenda, agenda thing builds trust. And then you, they will. Then most of them, they will. The Chinese will also check with their connections whether they know you. Mm-hmm. And if that justifies, then you can take it to the I, next I level. I actually took it to a next yeah. level in a way in the last couple of years, because even when I go to sales meeting now, that I'm supposed to sell something, I'm not trying to sell no. it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a next level because. For me, something that has worked a lot, very very well, is just being being of assistance being of exactly. help um, people come to me with questions about whatever like like just just the other day Daniel Dombro was asking me about some camera equipment and lighting right. and sound I'm like dude do this da, 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 da. And I gave him a whole bunch of information builds a relationship right there for sure any any financial exchange none but it's 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 something that's really meaningful it comes uh, down to, to people share share what you know with people let them exactly. know you know this is a great way to build relationships And 
it's also it feels good. You know? Having come back from Beijing, I was really interesting to explore this topic of the the, the Shanghai bubble. Um, I feel that I have been living for so long in the Dongguan bubble. I go sure. to Beijing and I'm like. <laughs> I do travel, but not so much. So that was a bit of an experience. Um, how how do you see our bubble here in Dongguan? What is your perspective, your idea? How do you feel about the city? That's that's exactly why I want, I'm most excited that I was invited to come here in person because I've been the last time I was here four years ago or five mm-hmm. years ago, and I was factory visiting factory, we're producing the plush animals like the oh, yeah. toys for WWF and for Miffy and. And, and um, then you go much more to the outskirts, and then I stayed a, a little bit in the center with the bar area. And that time, Dongguan, you can just feel that it was happening, there was mm-hmm. something coming. It became more than a factory town. It became more and more uh, opportunities. And, we, and the last two years, I see more and more e-commerce companies moving their fulfillment, their warehouse from Shenzhen to Dongguan. So that is actually happening. That's this happening is becoming already. yeah, okay. and yeah, exactly. these are huge warehouses. It's not small warehouses. Huge warehouses, sometimes even automated. Right. And then and, and they get subsidies from Dongguan government because there's some tax benefits as well. So it's like this is gonna be the next kind of like operational area for logistics. e-commerce. Yeah, logistics. I think the whole Greater Bay Area, right, is huge really project. important. And Dongguan has a very good advantage, you know, in in being in the middle, but but also being more affordable yeah for way prices. more affordable right? Guangzhou or Shenzhen yes. yes so I mean this is uh, you were you guys were putting something together in your magazine about the future of Dongguan yeah the future of Dongguan what uh, are some of those the future of Dongguan well you know that uh, uh, after all it's a developing city for like 20 years now right so there are not too many too much land there is not too much land available but there's still a few areas and the future of Dongguan is really three three places right they're talking about so it's like a triangle it's Songshan Lake Mm-hmm. for high-tech that has been that's where Huawei is yeah, yeah. Huawei is there um, and uh, still developing and it's been it's been slow but steady over the last decade and then uh, you have Nanchang new CBD which is coming right here right mm-hmm. I showed you the picture before and you have this uh, in Human and Chanan the Binhai Bay yeah. which is the city of the future like I think different areas in China are working on this kind of project yeah. very impressive I was there uh, see if it really goes as planned, you know. But and, and transportation, transportation is crazy. I mean, this is all China, I think. You yeah. Know? But especially in Guangdong, I feel, you know, also with all the airports, I think for airports is the most densed in the world, the most mm-hmm. dense area mm-hmm. with, with as many, you know, with so many airports. So I think it's it's really interesting. But even if you are in Shanghai, like you said, if the train is like six hours, right? Already, and it will be even shorter. So I mean, yeah. But leaving the, the bubble thing, right? The, the, when you come to China, um, if you do decide to come to China, choosing where to live is really, really important. Mm. And often we don't have a choice. The job tells you yeah. where you go or yeah. you just happen to, to go to, to a but do, city. Some people do have some preferences. Some people do have a preference, like sure. I want to go to a big city. If you're in a position, because, yeah. then yeah, sure. So mm-hmm. that's where I want to say, you know, uh, think about advantages and disadvantages according to your lifestyle mm-hmm. in different areas, right? So Shanghai would be very modern, amazingly modern. You know, I, I've, I've been to Hong Kong hundreds of times, and then only after that, I went to Shanghai the first time, many years ago. I was like, wow, I kind of like this better even <laughs> than Hong Kong, <laughs> but it's so expensive too. Yeah. Yes. So it depending on how much money you're making, similar to Hong Kong, right? 
Um, like I told him, he probably lives in a half size of my apartment and pays five times more. Probably. <laughs> right? Probably. And then Dongguan is more, you know, it's a, so it's a second tier city, right? Like many cities like this in China now. Uh, personally, I love it, right? So, you know, for to me, the one is the right more size. It's adventurous to be here, I would say, than, than Shanghai. Right, so Shanghai is. It is. It is. It is also the right size in my in my opinion. It's not too big, like Shenzhen. Or I lived in Shenzhen for about two months. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, it's really important. But uh, if if we had to if we had to give advice, mm -hmm. we need to give advice. How do you choose a city? Years. How do you choose where to live? Yes. How do you choose where to live? You know, I think China will have more and more, uh, you know, people migrating to to it. It's kind of like the new America. So how do you choose where to live? What are the main things? Like, what do you think? So we, I think like most people that are coming to China for the first time, they go to the big cities. So which is Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou. And if you speak some, some Chinese already, then you can go outside. But quite often the going to uh, second, third, fourth tier cities is more when you have some language skills or you send there as a teacher, but mostly language skills because you want to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And we see that the same for Chinese individuals as well. They, a lot of them have been moving to the big cities to build up a career. And now we see the push from the government to also go let back them go to back home because to develop the service industry back home. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that's, that means that also there's going to be more well, again, opportunities for foreigners to also open up a business because they're more like-minded people that they can connect with uh, that can help to close the gap and become more... I, I actually don't really like the idea of coming to a big city when you're just coming to China because you get into that bubble where everything's right. in English, for example. And right. I agree with you in that part that language is the one thing that opens up. Uh, all kinds stone. of opportunities. So if you come to a place like Shanghai, how much do you need to use Chinese? Right. And then and then it's like you haven't, you moved all the way around the world, but you're still operating in English. And what are your incentives to move to a place where you're going to have trouble communicating? Um, I think it makes people less uh, willing to. Because people don't... Uh think about it before just they come. jump in the deep end of the pool you know, and even uh, i mean <laughs> that's I what i think nowadays most china is like that i mean you don't need to speak any chinese to live in dongguan just fine yes but you can go to some rural area in hefei or whatever you know when we talk with yeah. the car yeah. right yeah uh, where they really don't speak english and that's where you know you can jump into that but a lot of times you don't have the choice right i mean but if you come as a teacher to just start teaching and then find then something else, away. you can have a choice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Find those places, you know, yeah. think about that. But if you come with a family already, you know, I don't know, I guess people are different, right? I would say going to Shanghai with a family is like moving to New York. Think about that, would you want that, yeah. mm -hmm. you know? Or would you want to be in a city that's more laid back? Like yeah. Dongguan or, or Chengdu, some other one. Chengdu, right, yeah. Um, what about your language skills? Where did you develop them? Uh, how would you rate them? <laughs> I think my... China, well, I speak Dutch, English, and Chinese, mm -hmm. a little bit German. And French, I think, is very far away, uh, far away in my mind at least now. But um, my Chinese, I think, is about HSK 5, so you have these levels of yeah, 6. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not, I have never really focused on writing. Okay. I can write, but using uh, just uh, the predictive dictionary the thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recognizing the characters. Um, speaking and listening is fine. Not to a really reading. high level, but okay. But reading uh, is so-so, and, and writing is terrible. 
Okay. Because <laughs> I, I think nowadays everything is voice messaging as well. Did I, you study it? Did you? I took some. I took. I think the first year and a half I took classes. Okay. Uh, but next to my job, so it's part time. Like s probably six to ten hours a week. Okay. And I'm still learning every day. I'm still <laughs> just using some learning app to uh, to keep improving. Uh, so. Um, now that we spoke about all, you know, like a bit of advice and opportunities in China, do we have more time before the break, Fernando? Um, we got like four or five minutes. Okay, so I would like to talk about the China dream, mm. right? You said that this is the new America. I, I've been <laughs> saying it for 10 years, honestly. Yeah. We could see it, right? Yeah. And it's, it's fulfilling the, the prophecy, right? Um, it is the new America, but it's a different kind of America. Yeah. It's a new America in a sense of uh, quality of life, uh, standard of living, um, opportunities, you know, opportunities, right? Um, comfort, but but it's different, right? The dream mm -hmm. is, is a different kind of thing. What, what do you think is that China dream? You start. <laughs> you know, is that okay. is it different for foreigners and for Chinese as well? It's definitely uh, different. I can give an example. I gave a workshop in a company where half of the people were European, and half of them were Chinese, and I asked them about their why. Why, why they do what they Simon do. Simon Sinek. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Start with why. So I actually used this com concept and put it into a workshop. Right. And, uh, and then the then the final conclusion, let's go to, all the, to the conclusion immediately, is like the Chinese, they all wanted to improve the quality of life for their family. The, the, the Europeans, they wanted to improve themselves so that the, re the family could be, so they can take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So they don't need to, the family <laughs> doesn't need to take care of them. Yeah, exactly. So that was a very, for me, big eye opener because that's actually what, what has been the driver for most people in China. Because China, we said it again, it's full of opportunities. But if you create the opportunity, you need to make sacrifices to be able to make it happen. True. Very mm -hmm. sac true. These sacrifices are normally individual sacrifices for the benefit of the people supporting you, which is quite often your family, yeah. your parents or your grandparents or your kids or your wife or, or husband, whatever. So that, that sacrifice is, is there, but you only want to sacrifice it if you have hope for the future to, to make it work. Right. And in China, there's a lot of hope mm -hmm. because we see progress. Progress equals hope. That's what Tony Robbins always says. Right. Progress right. equals hope. Right. And uh, you, you've, we've just described the development of Dongguan. Right. There is progress everywhere around you. Yeah. I think and that then gives, inspires people and yes. they give people hope. And then they start to dream. And right. you allow people to dream because you, the environment that you create becomes inspirational. And then you're, uh, you, you, feel you become hopeful and then you start to dream. And then the Chinese dream evolves. And this dream, like you asked, this China dream, Western, definitely is different because the foundation is different. Just like I expressed, we come from different different backgrounds. After you say that, you know, it made me think. I think that uh, you know, even American dream before, right? And now, I guess the dream is depending on the person, but maybe the the China dream is just the ability to fulfill your dreams. The you know, to leave a legacy, to you know, leave something yes. like the people so from behind that you leave behind are gonna like your kids or your grandkids can actually be be, be the, have the life they want to have. So, so maybe it's 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 similar to the American dreams in a way, right? After all, yes, it's just set up in a place that is different, that operates under different rules, that 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 has a different system. So you need to adapt. But the idea of of for me a dream here in China is to fulfill my 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 destiny as as a teacher as right. a as an educator right. and it served this purpose i mean i am living my dream basically and i think i think that it's but perfect. that's a western way approach western. because <laughs> a lot of chinese are not living their dream no 
their parents. But, dream. but it's, it's not just a Western approach, it's also an experienced approach. It is, know? it is. Because if it's you ask me, definitely. my China dream was different. Yeah, 15 sure. years ago, it would have been make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. You know, it was. And now it's, I always tell people, foreigners, especially new ones to China, I always tell them, life is now. Yeah. Life is not later, life is now. So, like uh, people that make uh, 25,000 RMB a month, but they, they, they live on 3,000 because they save. Saving is great, but I mean, don't go crazy, live, right? So, so it's kind of like what you said, I agree with that. The, the, the dream, the China dream is we can, is the fact that we can uh, do something that, that makes us, you know, uh, satisfied and mm -hmm. we fulfill that. Plus, we're living well now, right? And hopefully, we can make some money. I'm gonna go back to to something that I've said in other in other videos. Uh, as a person, I have like five year plans. Mm. So um, at 25, I wanted to be a skydiving instructor. At 30, I wanted to move to China. At 35, I want to become a scuba diving instructor. At 40, I wanted to become an Ironman. And now my dream is YouTube. Right. I got three channels right. going on. Right. Right. Um, so China has allowed me for the last 20 years to to pursue all those different interests that I've had. And, and uh, these, these are interests that I probably could have not pursued in my back, uh, back home, in my home country. Sure. So, yeah. so that, that's, that's my China dream right there. And that's why I say that I'm leaving my dream. Anything that I want to pursue, I can. And China has afforded that to me. But uh, I guess that in, it could be that cities are different and someone in Shanghai may answer more with money in mind. Or could it be? If, I if think Shanghai is uh, definitely more materialistic driven. Right. Okay, we need to sure. take a break. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back in a second. All right, guys, and we're back with Simon. This time around, we're going to be talking about... Business culture in China. Business culture in China and how it's different from the West. So yeah. what's so, your first question, Mr. Glickman? Right. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, business culture in China and just culture in general is so different, right? Um, what are the differences that you see? How does it compare to, to Western business uh, protocols or ways? Yes. So I've worked for a Western company in China. I've, I've run my own company and now I'm working for a Chinese company. So there's a, a lot of differences itself on how the company culture itself. So it's from a business culture, it's very defined by the industry and by the, by the company, obviously. What I, what I found is that the, from a Chinese, uh, in, in general, I mean, it, it is not for everyone, but in general, we see that in China is more, the ma uh, more hierarchy. So mm -hmm. there's more appreciation for uh, the boss and uh, the leader or the manager. There's more, quite often they are right. And if you don't agree, you don't agree face-to-face, -face. <laughs> you right. agree sometimes uh, with your peers to be to a connection. So that one, from a leadership perspective, is something very difficult to connect okay. with, uh, with the employees. So that's something so that... They're, they're basically a big one, right? Face culture. Yeah, that's definitely one. Big one. And yeah. it, it affects all, all yeah. aspects of life, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. So and, then, and then you need to be able to instruct people more because if you delegate, the interpretation might be wrong where they and then then you get a conflict between the leader and yourself. So See? I found that more, it's more beneficial to instruct people more clearly what they need to be done right. than saying, right. I want you to do this, and that this is so open for interpretation yes. that it becomes confusing. Mm. And that's something that works much better in, in China in general uh, to, to be much more clear. And on they, this. Like for example, like they want some, a lot of times they won't say yes or no. 
Uh, it's it's something else. Like maybe. A very, a very, no, 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 I hate maybe. They say sure or this. I was like, just tell me and you're going to do it, you know? To me, to me, it, it revolves around a very powerful concept in China, which is harmony. Mm, yeah. They, they, they put harmony above anything else. So conflict is not harmony. Right. So that's they handle conflict differently. They yeah. handle disagreement differently because harmony is probably the most sought after quality yeah. in a working space. Um, which makes it difficult when you're a foreigner coming here. Like, but 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 why? Uh, like, just. There's there's sub channels to handle these grievances or these difficulties sure, or like these differences. You, uh, um, you, uh, situation in China can be that you think someone really likes you and they really don't like you, and mm -hmm. you wouldn't know. They, it's like a Westerner, you would know. But with Chinese people, you, you just don't know. They, 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 you know, they, it all relates to that face thing. Maybe the emotions they keep inside, they don't open up. I mean, okay, I'm generalizing. Obviously, in China is also getting some influence from the Western people in recent years, some. Think about the people that work for you. Right. Think about Kathy, right. for example, somebody right. who worked for me and now right. is working for you. Is she your standard Chinese person? I, I, is she? I don't know. I don't in, think working so. Working with foreigners for a long time. So All I her don't. life, pretty much. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but still, but, but uh, even though you can still totally see, maybe because of that, that you expect that I can see uh, the Chinese person, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like with, with different things, you know? You work with foreigners and Chinese people at your office in your yes. workplace. Um, how do you handle their differences? I mean, are there conflicts that are difficult or what do you see in these interactions? So, yeah, for, for, for Chinese, it's m more difficult to connect socially mm -hmm. because your after work activities are different. So that means you normally ha it has to be a dinner or a karaoke to be able to build something. You don't go for coffee mm -hmm. uh, for most of the time, unless they're more Western-minded or Western. Then you could go grab a coffee and connect because getting the connection is very important. Right. So, so and, and, and I see there's still, in my case, there's a lot, quite often there's a, there's a distance between me and the Chinese colleague. Mm -hmm. So I need to find a way to help bridge that distance to become closer to them because when you're closer, then you're, bo you're both willing to work for each other yeah. and help each other to, to grow and you're more aware of their personal interests and struggles, and, uh, etc. So I, need to sp I normally spend more time on getting connected with them socially by sending them personal messages, not harassments, but just messaging, <laughs> <laughs> asking them and, and giving them informed about situations much more because building up a connection with a foreigner is much easier because you're both new into another country, you're a guest mm -hmm. here. Yeah. So Especially that, that expat to expat, we understand each other in a way that even... It opens so many doors with expats yes. and they become lifetime friends. It's been right. amazing right. Uh, to, to have this Do you have many Chinese friends? Yeah, but the majority are uh, come from a work-related or sport-related. Uh, Sports-related, that's what I wanted to talk about because um, for a lot of people, uh, joining sports activities or sports meeting like or sport with volleyball. like yeah yes. with volleyball or or Paul from Walkabout Rojo with right. uh, badminton right. like when you like join sports do, yeah. yeah the hiking thing yeah. um, that brings people together in a different it's sphere a real life you know um, regular simple similar life interest thing. An interesting mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so when you mention sports what what kind of examples uh, could you give us. Uh, I've been playing basketball okay. in, uh, since I came, and actually already from the I think the second day I came in 2011, been, been start, already was asked to join a team. 
just to get joined the practice and the games. And you play basketball, right? And then you may go. It happened to me in the beginning, 15 years ago, 16 years ago. You play in the street, okay? You just join. They're very yeah. welcoming, right? Very super people welcoming. are very welcoming. Super welcoming. And you play with them, um, and and then come for dinner with us. Exactly. You just jump on their motorcycle back then and go. And nobody spoke English. And you also playing? Yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. You've been doing the same. And 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 yeah. So sport is a good one, actually. Uh, another one that's that's interesting, but it's kind of like awkward in the West is the uh, the whole cigarette thing. Mm. <laughs> people that don't know you, eh? Offer yeah. you a yeah, cigarette, yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. I don't really smoke, but I would like to talk to you no matter what. I mean, yeah. regardless. It's been big for me because I, I smoke been an for many years. Yeah? yeah. Do you? A, I don't smoke. No, okay. no, right. I haven't been smoking for, uh, for since I've been here. But I, I, before also <laughs> not. But it's it is for basically what people say if you do sales, you need to drink and smoke. Yeah. Otherwise, you cannot do sales in China. Right. <laughs> so what about we talk about culture, right? And uh, uh, adaptability, you know, of foreigners, right? Some some foreigners uh, complain all the time. Yeah. And I think maybe they are the, the uh, short-lived for foreigners, expats, right? Uh, uh, some of them, maybe tragically, mm. stay here for a long time and they still complain for 15 years, right? So um, first I want to say, if you come to China now and if you're here in one year, two years, three years and you complain about everything, oh man, you don't know half of it. You <laughs> weren't here 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Believe me, it's way, way better now, right? So like... <laughs> What what are the things we need to uh, we need to adapt to? What are the things that maybe were you used to get frustrated about, but now you're like okay, whatever. Yeah, I've learned to the words between accepting and expecting to find okay. that difference because when you expect expectation, huh? when you have expectation, then life in China can be very tough. Disappointing. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you have to learn how to accept that things are not happening the way you expected it to happen, and that's continuously happening on a daily basis, almost hourly basis. <laughs> Uh, yes. Because normally you're not really well informed or you just don't have no understanding of how it's going to happen or what's going to happen. You quite often as a foreigner, you sometimes dropped into a meeting room like, okay, now what? I think yeah, you're a foreigner, so you talk to this foreigner. But what's the context? What are we talking about? <laughs> I think uh, you have to accept in some way things that you can change, right? Yeah. Um, but things you can change or, or do something about it in the moment, maybe you can still argue. Like, I give a couple examples. I would never accept um, someone smoking in an elevator. I would not accept it. I, I, I would say something. I would not go in the elevator and I would say something. I'll make sure they know that this is not right. I'm exactly the same. Okay? <laughs> Even though I smoked. Even after 20 years? Yeah. Until yeah. a year ago, I smoked here for 15 years. Mm. But still, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just wrong, right? Yeah. But, uh, um, but, you know, when you see, I drive here and when you see stuff that's like, you know. Yeah. I, I learned to accept that. <laughs> I know we talked about driving pretty much every episode, but it's exactly the same. You kind of like, like yeah, it is the way it is. It is the way it is. And, and you develop, you change your, do you drive here? Yes. You, do? Uh, you change your driving style to, to right. like accommodate for the unpredictableness, you just, you just, the unpredicted uh, nature. Alert, right? Yeah. You're more alert because you know people will do some crazy stuff around <laughs> you. They go into the street, don't, they don't even look or whatever. But I just. That's, what, that's one thing that I just, it kind of like, you learn to drive their way, but in a way, inside, you're like, why, why? Like, you can't fully accept it that there's a guy driving in the wrong direction, you're like. Like the other day, I was walking <laughs> near the computer market in Dongcheng on the side, on the sidewalk. Uh -huh. And uh, it's a nice area, it's clean. And uh, I see a little girl taking her pants off and peeing. Going. Yeah. And on the sidewalk and the mom is looking at the phone whatever 
So uh, my reaction was exactly like this. Like I was like, I did this. Like I, I made a face um, to myself. And then I was like, okay, Ziv, just keep walking. You can't do anything about it. You know, so this is the kind of thing that uh, we don't like accept, it, but yeah. you learn to accept. But it's happening way less yeah. than it used to. It's much less. I think traffic is a great indicator of where our culture is. It shows a lot about the behavior and, and the, the culture itself. The, uh, you see in countries like India, business culture is messy. Streets are also messy. Traffic is messy. Uh, when it comes to Western countries, much more organized with traffic lights and road signs. And China has evolved also becoming much more organized. People do stick to their, to their switching lanes, but at least there's a lane. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, and the switching lanes on both sides. So, so, but the speed is also limited on... How, how fast people people drive, especially mm -hmm. in right. a city. It is much more organized, but it's still free for interpretation. And that's also <laughs> what right. the business environment is in China. I think someone described it very well. It's like Chinese economy is like the government sets the boundary, and within these two boundaries, you can operate freely. Right. You do whatever you want, but right. don't go past the boundary, because then we will you will you will get into problem. But within that, you can be as free entrepreneur as you would like it to be. That's and the same on the street. You can cross the road. You can go try. You go on the scooter on the highway. I mean, we've seen we've all seen yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> those are the, the uh, domains where we say China has more freedom. Well, it's, it's, yeah. it's weird to me In when way, we're talking yeah. about China culture. Is that China is kind of like a a, a very uh, united country. They're very nationalistic, very patriotic. Right. We use right. the term that you want. They're very united. Pride but when pride. it comes when it comes to driving, <laughs> it's me and yes. my interests and my yes. my way, and uh, the country, they, they drop because it. The country is united around the country, mm -hmm. not around individual yeah. individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so I think I want to get there first. So I don't. Uh, care one example I really always love to give is like someone is driving, like really cutting people and going fast and going just speeding through uh, through lights. And then they, they stop and they arrive, and then they're waiting, standing there for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, there was no rush. You know, I always say, like, it's, it's a different... If someone is doing something bad uh, in the U.S., driving, they're an asshole. They're assholes, right? Yeah. In China, it's, it's not like they're trying to, to... It's not like they're doing something intentionally to hurt you or to make you slower or We have something. a joke in Colombia. They just don't think about you. <laughs> They just think about themselves in the car. In, in Colombia, we say that they're going, they're going, they're late for the mother's wedding. But, but <laughs> I learned, I learned that it's not. And the true. police gets uh, takes it. Yeah. I think very deeply. I think I learned that they do have empathy to others. Yeah. They just, it's not on their mind. Once you make them, you make them pay attention to it. There is empathy there. There is like, mm. oh yeah, okay. You know what I mean? It's not like I don't care. I'm an asshole. It's not. It's very complicated for people that haven't been here for years to understand. Yeah. This uh, psychologic psychology about them. Yes. You you mentioned earlier about the whole coffee culture after work. Um, how how knowledgeable are you about tea and the tea culture? Because tea is much more important to them than coffee. It's changing. Yeah. <laughs> do you drink tea? Uh, I do drink tea. Yeah, I do. Have yeah. you? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, experiences that actually take place. Uh, well, yes. people go out drinking Kombucha. tea, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's where a lot of business takes place. Right. Um, do you have that kind of culture at your work office? Do you guys do you drink tea or do you drink coffee at work? No, in this in this company, it's more uh, coffee or milk tea. 
Uh-huh. So that kind bubble of a tea. bubble tea. Yes. That, that's now what most people drink. Right. There is a there is a tea table with uh, the yeah, frog and with the, all these stones and all this kind. Of you you can't have an office in yeah. China if you don't have a tea table. I don't have one, but any business that you go to, there's a tea table, and yeah. that's where you sit and discuss business. Right. So that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Do you have one? Uh, I probably have something small, but we don't <laughs> use it. Yes, um, we we have a bar, so yeah, <laughs> it's more that. Um, so just before we we finish here, um, what what the future holds for you? Yeah, what, what's your plans? Yeah. Still in China? Dropshipping, podcast, yeah, in everything. This industry. So so I've been helping Western companies to enter China to localize their services for almost the last ten years. And since uh, 2019, I kind of gone across with how can I help Western companies to get their products out of China, and that's very e-commerce, global e-commerce is going to be, in my opinion, driven by China. I mean, we already see the numbers booming, and China is going to be leading from that from a resource perspective, from technology perspective, but also financial perspective. So the problem for Chinese companies is how to localize their services, mm-hmm. how to go global, because they tried a lot. Uh, you see a lot of Chinese companies go global. But it's still head office driven. There's no real localization. The decisions are made in China. So I was basically start to look for which company is able to service these Western online sellers and to make actually localize itself, not push a Chinese solution, but tap into what is needed and how to transform that from a technology perspective. And for me, bridging these cultures, I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do the other way. So I'm, I'm going to help Chinese companies to go to Europe to localize their service, be locally present in Europe. Because with my background and experience, I understand the e-commerce landscape, I understand language well enough, the culture, that it can be a value for Chinese company to localize because I'm a white face. <laughs> for them, I'm a white face, right, but right. I do have some yellow in me by right, now right. over the mm-hmm. last years. So you are, you are moving, you're gonna move to- I'm, I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving. And, and Corona has slowed it down, though hopefully right. uh, next year when, uh, it, yeah, when there's actually events happening offline events so are you're going to move with the same company yeah I'm going to set up an entity in Europe for them okay. build a team there for them and I guess you'll travel to China I'll travel, travel up in China I mean yeah. your family is Chinese right so my wife is Chinese two kids so they're yes. mixed and for them I mean most of the experts why they leave China if they have kids it's for education right so same for us international schools are so expensive yes local schools bring so much pressure to the households that right. uh, a, a, a school in, uh, in Europe, in my case the Netherlands, offers much more flexibility but also more freedom and still the same learning curve that yeah. you can create. So, True, right. yeah. All right, well, okay. Simon, we want to thank you very much for uh, the time, for coming all the way from Shanghai to meet us here in Dongguan, for uh, enlightening us and telling us a lot more about dropshipping here in China. Yeah, and um, very, very insightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know dropshipping now. I'm thinking of starting something. I'm <laughs> going to talk to you right after this. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, um, once more, thank you so much. And you know, guys, what to do. If you like this video, make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if you mm-hmm. like the content of our channel, make sure to hit the subscribe button. Right. And when and, you do uh, that, and if you're listening on any podcast channels, please subscribe to our channel. Sure. And share with your friends. <laughs> All right, guys. And this has been, of course, China. Bye. Bye.